0: Alright, hello everybody and welcome back to Test Tubes and Cauldrons, a podcast where we talk about the intersection of science and spirituality. week we're going to take a bit of a breather since the last couple episodes we've been pretty information heavy and talk about some random spiritual shower thoughts that we and some of our good friends have had very warning it's going to get a little weird but hopefully you enjoy these with us if you have any weird kind of shower thoughts that you had yourself feel free to put them down below if this is like a really popular episode we might do a part two we probably will do a part two just because i'm sure we'll have more as we go along we can talk about some of those then But before we get into that, let's do our What Happened on this day. And actually quite a bit happened (laughs) on this day. It is currently April 25th. So we'll just kind of like go through all of them, I guess. Okay, I have to talk about this one because I actually got to go see the original publication, the original journal article of Francis and Crick's publication of the structure of DNA. And that happened actually on this day in 1953. Francis and Crick published the structure of DNA in the Nature Journal. But it is important to acknowledge our dear friend Rosalind here, who was a female scientist that actually provided the X-ray crystallography data that Francis and Crick utilized to construct their model of DNA. She also plays a very important role and definitely should have been part of that Nobel Prize award being given out. But that happened in 1959, on April 25th, we had the first AIDS patient, which is really unfortunate. But thankfully over the years, we've had a lot of fantastic work being done on AIDS, which has led to a good number um, of ways to help treat it and make it at least help people survive, even if they contract it. In 1990, on April 25th, the Hubble Space Telescope was launched and deployed in space from the space shuttle Discovery into an orbit 381 miles above Earth. Oh, the other thing that happened is that we had the birth of Wolfgang Pauli in 1900, and that was a quantum physicist responsible for the Pauli exclusion principle. And that essentially states that in an atom, there's no two electrons that can occupy the same quantum sp- uh, state simultaneously. Basically, it relates the quantum theory to the observed properties of an atom. And incidentally, Pauli has also had dealings with Carl Jung and as such had some dealings with the occult as well. We'll put a link to an article there that can give you some more information if you're curious about it. But yeah, lots of cool stuff. This is honestly one of my favorite things to research. You just get to go through and like look at all the cool stuff that happened on what feels like very random days. Okay, let's get into spiritual shower thoughts. I'm so excited about this episode because we have some random, random stuff on here. All right, so the first one, do bacteria have spirits and can you work with them? Was there a fake
1: <laughs> I'm going to go for a strong yes. And I am biased because obviously I work as a microbiologist, but hear me out. So you can obviously state bacteria are definitely alive, more so than, than viruses are. And they've had a really massive impact on our world, like not just on human populations because we depend on them for food for plant growth, but they can even cause like terraforming, they can alter the states of minerals, they can affect the landscape itself. They predate gods that we have for other things. So for example, Demeter is the they goddess related to things like harvest, but we had bacteria before we had agriculture. And finally, Most importantly, they are culturally important. So we have things that are very important to pagans, such as bread. Um, Who could argue? Like, what what is more important to pagans than bread? Um, And beer.
0: The Wiccas, like on the Wheel of the Year, right? There's like a whole Sabbath dedicated to bread. Exactly,
1: and those are heavily dependent on microbes, bacteria, and yeast. So, in my opinion, yeah, they're really culturally important. And I don't I don't see a reason why we couldn't work with them. But I just think because they're in a grouping, maybe you'd have to work with like the entire community. What do you guys think?
0: I love this. So like <laughs> In my laboratory, I do a lot of work with, like, protein purification. And when we purify a protein and we make it in large quantities, we often use bacteria to do so. And because of this, like, I do see bacteria as, like, living organ. I mean, they are living organisms. Like, by the classical biological definition, they are living. And so because of that, like, yes, you could say that they do have the spirit. I've never actually thought of it in that way. And when I saw this on the outline, I was like... That's wild. Like, I would have never considered this. But yeah, I do think that they have a spirit. What would be really interesting, though, is to talk about whether they have a spirit similar to... I don't know say like a plant or humans or is it even even more different right because like they're they're so they're, they're microbes and they're so small and the way that they function is very different than even a plant or an animal like their cellular build itself is incredibly different for people who don't know most bacterial like prokaryotic organisms they don't have membranes and so like their DNA for instance isn't actually encapsulated into a nuclear membrane they don't have membrane bound organelles, all of these things that are very different and so I'd be curious to know if there's any difference like on a spiritual level that kind of reflects those differences are their spirits maybe a little more unorganized and chaotic you know given how like quickly they split and can also replicate yeah i don't know what do you think
2: fel do you have any thoughts <laughs> but i would just be curious as to what what would working with the bacteria look like i guess would be my my thing so if you bring up like working with bacteria that then begs the question what what does one hope to do when you work with anything i guess the spirit and an animistic perspective what are you hoping to engage just on like a grander scale so that would be my question is what would you think that the bacteria would do for you if that makes sense or not would do but like what would be the point of working with it
1: would be my follow-up question to that I have something to say about this. So you may know that bacteria actually outnumber human cells in the human body. The estimate of this maybe varies. So so it used to be, they used to say it was like 10 to 1. Nowadays, they kind of say it's more like 3 to 1, and it's quite hard to estimate. But there is this idea, and it's a little bit controversial, that bacteria can actually alter our mental health. And the idea is that our microbiome can process foods, and they can produce neurotransmitters in our gut. And those neurotransmitters can signal through our vagus nerve up to our brains. So they can produce, for example, serotonin in our gut, which can signal to our brains. So you could argue that actually we're able to change our mental state and we're able to, um, maybe self-love spells, for example, or um, even things to take us into a kind of ritual trance-like state through our gut microbiome. So that's maybe one example of something we could do, or I don't know, there's, I think there are lots of potential applications, but we have to work with them as like a population. So it's a bit different to working with like a singular organism
0: that's really interesting actually and you could you could even combine that maybe with like kitchen witchcraft right and you could eat things that maybe like would produce like that are good and healthy for you and might produce like have the base chemicals for like you know functional neurotransmitters and then you know work with the spirits of your gut microbiome to like even if it's something as simple as better like absorption or better like translation maybe to take it from you know this state into making like helping you feel better I also think you could use it because like the other thing is that bacteria there's so many different kinds right like even within the micro realm, like you have like soil bacteria, you have just like your, you have like disease bacteria, there's so many, God, there's so many kinds. If you ever take like a microbiology class, it's a little disturbing to learn how many kinds there are. But like if you were working with like soil bacteria, you could use that in agriculture, right? Like if you're working with a garden, maybe working with the spirits of the bacteria in the soil, you could do things like help things grow or like help keep the this, this soil constant and like well fertilized and all
2: of these things. I'm full of follow up questions today, I guess. So then my <laughs> question is, so if you're working with the bacteria as a group, what would then make that different from working with the or- organism itself?
1: Because they're very, very short lived because they, right. they have a lifespan, which is very, very short. So if you were working, like they have a doubling time, to remember, I think E. coli's doubling time is like 20 minutes. So basically the population goes up and up and up and it doubles and doubles and doubles until you have kind of saturation where they use up all their nutrients and then they die off. So you would only have that time period until they run out of nutrients before your working stops. Unless you think that there are bacterial ghosts everywhere, but that just complicates matters because then our world would just be <laughs> completely overrun with microbes way, so i don't
0: know you could, use, you could use that cycle of growth to maybe have like a really quick quick representation of like a cycle so for instance like we know that the the moon phase we have like the waxing and winning phases and the full and the new moons and they each have very specific uses could you utilize maybe the bacterial like the growth curve where you have the like the log phase and then you have the stationary phase and phase and then you have the death phase and if you could maybe use that as like a shorter shorter life cycle in a particular working like say you maybe only want a spell to go for 20 minutes but you want to kind of hit all stages you could maybe utilize the bacterial life cycle in that particular way again you could just like grab some soil outside and you would have plenty of bacteria um, (laughs) that could like help you with that Um, that's a really interesting thought that's not something I ever considered
2: that's interesting then because then one could make the case that when you're working with plants for example that you could almost it's like you know people say like when you're I don't know, working with plants or doing a spell that involves plants. Like, you know, if you're working with cinnamon, tell the cinnamon to do one thing. You don't want to tell it to do multiple things. But by that certain logic, technically, I guess you could tell the different cells in whatever the plant. Like if it's a plant that comes from the soil, you could tell the plant to do one thing and then the bacteria on the soil to do another.
0: (laughs) It's really interesting, actually, if you also think about it, like energetically speaking. Because if if anybody's ever grown bacteria on like a, on a plate in the laboratory, when we see like those little col like the um, dots on the agar plate, they're they're colonies, and these colonies are full of you know thousands of upon millions of actual bacterial cells. And so it's interesting then if you were to say petition a call. This is so free. <laughs> I can't believe we're talking about this. <laughs> is this is so chaotic. <laughs> <laughs> if you were to petition like a a colony of bacterial cells to go do something energetically speaking you have like millions of these cells that you've now charged or instructed to go carry out a particular task change that to like maybe working with bacteria in the ground like this this overall kind of microbiome we're like millions of bacterial cells so it'd be interesting to see if maybe there was like an energetic difference utilizing like all of this kind of this manpower if you will I don't know how to even talk about it to kind of like send toward your intention and take it you know take it out to to hopefully manifest
2: right as someone who does a lot of gardening now (laughs) I attached a money spell to ginger and now I'm thinking all of the things that are in that soil especially since I do my own composting too (laughs) my brain's just like that's you could just get exponential in in sort of uh, That realm. But yeah, oh God, like doing your own composting could be a treasure trove of bacteria magic because there's so many different things that are going into it and so many things happening.
0: It would be cool to then take, because I remember back in undergrad in my microbiology class, we actually like went outside and we had to get like a culture of dirt from the ground or, you know, take something from a tree, whatever. I think I swabbed an acorn <laughs> and you then had to like swab it and, and plate it. It'd be really interesting if you were to take a swab of dirt, plate it, see what growed. You could identify using, you know, lots of different tests. Um, granted, you would need a laboratory for this, like just to decide. Um, but if you were able to like identify exactly what microbes were in your soil sample and then you could very specifically work with those to like do something because every every soil bacteria like typically has a purpose yeah that'd be that'd be very interesting i was also thinking if you could like maybe use bacteria for protection like a kind of ward right like there's so many in your soil i feel like it would kind of make sense to utilize them as as a type of ward or protection um um, spell i have no idea how you would do that i'm just like throwing (laughs) throwing stuff out there um, in terms of thoughts that are popping up as we talk about it
2: that's interesting too because i'm thinking about offerings right so like I do libation, so like wine and then oftentimes like some sort of food. And if the food is compostable, I'll put it in my compost. And then, But now the offering is also joining the the, my compost and all the bacteria. And then also when I'm pouring wine on the ground, that area where the wine is falling is changing a little bit. The mm. libation is literally affecting
1: the bacteria. I'm not to get too hippie, but like, this is exactly how I feel about animals. I feel like everything is kind of interconnected and bacteria, like <laughs> microbes are so neglected, like they're, they're such an important part of our ecosystem and how things are connected together. And we just don't see all these like chemicals and the shared resources passing from one to another. And I, I don't know, I just think they're a really neglected part of the witchy community, like, um, we, we depend on them for so many kind of traditional things like decay, um, the things that we focus on like necromancy. So yeah, I, I do think that they're they're kind of culturally maybe more important than we give them credit for. And yeah, certainly like plant growth, like you say, like we, we depend so much on mycorrhizal fungi for um, growth of certain plants, but it's just like completely neglected and not paid any attention to. I
2: feel like one could make the argument that people historically have worked with bacteria, they just didn't know
1: that they were. Yeah, if you're working <laughs> with I... beer, like you're, you're working with bacteria and yeast, right. <laughs> basically. That's true. That's very true.
0: Like um, when farmers take time off, so they'll like grow for a period of of years and then they'll like let their fields rest. I mean, part of the the nutrient replenishing is due to the bacteria, the soil bacteria that are in the grounds. In a way, you're honoring (laughs) the bacteria. (laughs) God. Of giving them time to rest and recuperate before you continue planting um, to get a better harvest.
2: It's funny, because I'm just thinking about my compost bin. We actually, on non, that's when we add new compost and we add a bunch of things to, well, not a bunch of things, but sometimes we'll, you know, check its quality to see if we need to add more water. We've started adding this one thing, it's called like Mir- Miracal or something. It's supposed to help with the soil because our soil is horrible up here just because New England is terrible soil. Anyway, but we'll like sing and like spin the compost, and so it's funny because we—I feel like now that I'm thinking about it, we do, like especially in my case, like we tie me and my may tie a lot of things to our compost and our soil specifically, just because we work in the garden and you know we work with a lot of plant entities. So I think that's really funny, or we're like, oh, we need this because we need to balance like this level in our compost. So that's kind of funny.
1: What deities would you associate with microbes? I specifically have given op- offerings to Hygieia because yeah. of microbiology, but I, I don't know if there's any, anybody that you can think of specifically.
2: So we specifically called, we named our compost Boroborfora, I think is the name. It's is that the Hecate epithet
1: that means eater of food? Yeah, the Hecate yeah,
2: yeah. epithet that means like eater of dirt, eater of trash. Just because we started doing this on the non. And, and I viewed it as like a liminal space because I can't really leave offerings at a crossroad. So for those of you who don't know, uh, on the Hecate's non you leave scraps from your home essentially usually dirt (laughs) you're supposed to leave it at a crossroads but I don't have anywhere that I can leave it so I decided that the compost is kind of like a crossroads of things dead being turned new so I would kind of associate (laughs) I guess Hecate with that kind of compost or any sort of entity associated with the dying and rising
0: yeah, I don't really have a, a particular like deity in mind, but I would certainly think that anything that has to do with like rebirth maybe um, would be a pretty good fit for like a god of, of microbes given like the high um, high rate of like replication and then how quickly their life cycle is over. It's just like this constant, you know, you know thing. I also like any god of agriculture probably – I imagine would work well with with microbes, since you know many of them are out in nature. Nature too. Okay, <laughs> let's move on. I feel like we could spend all episode just talking about this one. All right, the next one. Oh, this is interesting. Do spirits undergo evolution? I think we're talking like evolution is in kind of like more macro evolution or even micro evolution too. I mean, what do you what do you
1: think? I mean, they don't have DNA. I, I mean, I assume. I, I, mean, I guess I haven't sequenced a spirit. <laughs> <But> <laughs> Um, but I mean, yeah, I, I you can say that like because a lot of of spirits are like passed down through folk tales and things and so etymologically you can see evidence of evolution. Like often you maybe you don't people don't know this, but um geneticists will often use family names, and they'll also look at etymology of family names to kind of trace that back with families. So there's kind of an interconnectedness between cultural evolution and human evolution. So we don't really see why we couldn't apply that term in kind of a loose sense, not so much a biological sense, to spirits, because it's kind of all about the way that they're passed down and kind of thinking about them in like a relativistic way. So how they relate to humans and human folklore.
0: I'm not a medium and I I would have to ask somebody who maybe is but I also wonder if maybe spirits do change over time as if they continue learning even even as an entity instead of like a physical being on earth I have heard people say that like their ancestors when they like go back to work with them the ancestors you know I made so many mistakes back in my time doing x y and z like here are ways you can do better and so in that way I do think that they evolve over time they maybe change over time I don't do necessarily do ancestor venerations I couldn't say one way or another i think that maybe is a is a way to look at that idea well what do you think
2: i don't know i'm of like two minds with this i feel on one hand yes because we evolve but then at the other hand i don't think they evolve in any sort of physical or that kind of way i mean because yeah they don't have dna <laughs> uh, to, to my knowledge i just would be curious as to how they evolve at like and, and you see this happen with deities, specifically how they sort of become syncretized or their the ways of worshipping them change, right? Like Apollo and Pion used to be two separate deities. At least they're pretty sure just based on the way that they're talked about in the Iliad. However, now, pretty much, and pretty much by the time of classical Greece, Paian was an epithet of Apollo. So in some ways, I guess you could kind of look at that as evolution. They kind of evolved into being the same thing. Or you see, is apotheosis just an evolution of a spirit into godhood? I don't know. I think perhaps some spirits stay the same, but others change as people change and culture changes.
0: I think that brings up another interesting point, though, which is that Even if if culturally maybe like one deity becomes an epithet of another deity over time, does that then, is that reflected also on in the spiritual realm or do they remain separate despite them being culturally similar on the physical plane? What do you think?
2: I guess that kind of like brings up that question of do the deities evolve on their own or are they evolved because humans evolved them? You know, then you know leads into the deeper theological question: chicken and the egg problem of are there deities because there are people or are the people because there are deities kind of thing so it's like are they changing because culture is changing or are they changing because they're changing there's a lot of things in you know modern witchy circles where it's just go like directly against what a deity was for example but it's kind of like shared personal gnosis becomes verified gnosis in some ways is that kind of almost like an evolution i don't know Uh, And then are they, do they remain separate or are they safe? Or it's like how people, I've seen people who worship Ariadne. Ariadne was the wife of Dionysus. And in some versions of myths, she's alive, but in most of them, she's dead. Some people work with her, but some people see her as the deceased wife of Dionysus. And so, or what did she, did they actually get married? I don't remember. They were supposed to get married. And so is she both
1: alive and dead? I don't know. I kind of think of like personal as like a selective pressure. Like, stay with me here. So like, if you imagine, if you have, you have a single species and you imagine applying a selective pressure to one in one area, eventually over time, that selective pressure is going to lead to unfit individuals dying off and certain traits evolving and you're going to get speciation. That's a very basic and bad explanation of speciation. But basically I can think of a traditionalist sect. So there's no selective pressure there. They're, they're keeping everything the same. That kind of, our, our deity species, if you like, is staying the same. Whereas if we take a deity and we put them in another cultural setting, and then they're subjected to all the cultural pressures from um, that society, they're going to evolve. And so then we have two versions of this deity. Like they have a similar common ancestor. So they, the, the common ancestor is the same, but the two fragments of them now are different. So they're two different species. Does that make sense? It's kind of a, like a, a shitty analogy, but it's how I kind of re- like to relate it to evolution. It's not
0: a shitty analogy though, because that's kind of how I see deities, Except I use I use the terms like archetypes. So you have like a singular archetype, right? But you. The selective pressure is the tradition that that archetype that that archetype is like viewed in, and so it then becomes their own deity. So, like the sun god, for instance, in Hellenism or in Greek mythology, it's Apollo, but in like Egyptian, in the <laughs> Egyptian pantheon, it's Ra. Sorry, fell, I might have gotten that wrong again. Not like not a deity expert. Um, she just gave me a big
2: like head shake. I'll, I'll expand on that when you're done.
0: Okay yeah you have these archetypes and then based on like cultural pressures you then derive these deities that have the same kind of original basis that they stemmed from but they're different because of the traditions that they were brought into very interesting yeah okay so you can correct me <laughs> I
2: said. So, but that's actually a really interesting point so there's a huge point of contention in hellenic circles because apollo in classical greece was never a sun god It's only when we see his syncretism with Sol in the Roman period that we even start to see it. But it's really, really not until much, much later into the common era that we actually see Apollo associated with the sun. And a large part of that sort of exploded with the Renaissance because, I don't know, they just like hated Helios. (laughs) There's so much Helios erasure. And so suddenly Apollo just became syncretized with the sun, even though in like none of the texts he's like, Not at all related. He has Phoebus Apollo, which means the shining one, essentially. But that's the... A lot of gods have that epithet, Phoebus or or Phoebe, of being the light bringer. But it's not necessarily inherently tied to the sun or the moon. So that's why things get really interesting and I lie awake at night thinking about this sometimes because I'm like Apollo has been so misrepresented by being a sun god but then it's but part of me is just like but is that sort of an evolution like is that now that the deity is evolving to be a god of the sun? I don't know.
1: Also, yeah, like if we think of it in like a determinist way, like, I don't know, it depends on how determinist you are, but you could argue maybe that's how the deity wanted it to be. Like maybe they're just revealing more of themselves through this because they they have power over the kind of cultural narrative. So they can reveal more of themselves to different people and they can control their own evolution. But I don't know. I think that's kind of very, very much depends on your own personal philosophy.
0: But also then begs the question then is like how accurate is our kind of depiction of them from the stories of mythology, right? Because if they for example, in Norse mythology, I think it's it's a lot of the information that we get on the Norse the Norse deities come from comes from the Edas, right? Edas? Edas? I don't really know how to pronounce that. And, but like if you kind of remove those stories from it, what would we actually know about those deities? And that, that's not just Norse mythology. Like, I think that comes into many different pantheons. Um, I think then that poses a question is how accurate is our, our view of the deities that so many people actually worship? Are they separate from their stories or they have autonomy in that way? Or is their identity so heavily based on the mythology that was written by man?
1: This kind of comes down to like your hard versus soft polytheism debate, I reckon. I, th- I think we're going to need the whole episode for this one because it's really interesting. But it's, yeah, it's very, very much based on like your personal philosophy and how relativistic you think it is. So yeah, how much, how relative you think deities are to kind of human stories or whether you think that they are actual kind of solid, hard, defined beings that are sort of more unchangeable my 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 opinion is somewhere in the middle i don't necessarily think i have a i have a hard opinion on it but it's definitely an interesting discussion
0: yeah okay we'll save that then for for another episode and go ahead and move on to the third one which is if computers contain crystals What are their correspondences? This is really interesting, actually. And I think it also plays into the whole discussion of like whether technology is legitimate when you use it in witchcraft. But I'm curious to hear your opinions.
1: We talk a lot about crystals having vibrations, or I say we talk about that like as a community that gets talked about a lot. And we'll probably get into another episode where we sort of discuss this idea and whether it has any merit. I think our consensus is generally no. Anyway... Computers, however, do contain crystals which are sort of piezoelectric, and piezoelectricity is a really interesting phenomenon because basically what it refers to, and I'm going to use my very basic knowledge of A-level physics here, it's where when you compress a particular material and it basically deforms those atoms such that the electron configuration of those atoms causes them to flow in a different way. So you can press the crystal and effectively you get an electric current and you can associate a frequency with electric current which you could term as a vibration so in this specific instance actually you could argue that yeah they do have a vibration but then how how you relate that back to having a specific property is quite difficult and also this is going to be like very heavily modulated by the setting that they're in and the actual specific pressure that you, you apply so i don't know that you could say it's necessarily inherent Because you're manipulating that in an electric circuit. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, and in a way also, like, crystals that are utilized in, like, computers and phone screens and stuff, they're also so heavily processed to be exactly, like, what's needed to give you kind of the best resolution. So then in that way, are they they natural enough to, like, have have kind of like inherent properties? In a way, I would say no. But I also think that because of kind of the new form they've taken on, they might actually have unique properties. I don't necessarily know what those what those would be. It would be interesting, though, to think about maybe is it possible then to like charge the crystals that are like a part of like your phone screen in particular, uh, maybe to do something? Or like, let's say that you set a protective sigil as your phone screensaver right? Would maybe just having that sigil on your reflected in your phone screen, which is really just like the reflection from the crystals, right? Over time, would that kind of lend its energy and be amplified in a way to be more powerful? I don't know. Uh, What do you guys, what do you think about that?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's honestly why I don't totally discount tech magic. Uh, I know it can get (laughs) kind of be a um a fun topic for people to dunk on which makes sense because a lot of it is silly but certain ones like that in particular like charging a sigil on your phone just because of the literal charging and power and there are crystals in your phone and computer so i think there can be something to that i don't think you can do necessarily all the things that a lot of like tech magic says that you can do i don't think emoji spells are anything sorry just
0: we're not really gonna like
2: have talk about, about I strong strongly about emoji <laughs> stuff but I think specifically I don't see why you couldn't charge like work with the stuff inside your phones and computers from that field. But as you were saying Astra about like if they're if the crystals are natural and then that begs the question is when does something no longer something that was like originally natural when does it become no longer natural
0: yeah what is the line of processing right loses all kind of
2: Are essential oils natural you know after the plant has been so distilled i don't know i think that's also another question which is another reason why i don't like always totally discount some more modern magic methods because it's like well at one point does this thing lose its power i guess another thing people should think about
0: also leads into the topic of where does the power come from right because if the power is coming from the objects themselves then i think something can like lose its powers sure but we always well i typically say that the power comes from you i mean the the magician like it is what you put into it and no tool itself is enough for magic to take place yeah very interesting i might steal that whole sigil on the phone idea myself and like just try it and see.
1: Experiment and report back. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and then you
0: also have like I regarding tech magic, I know there's um a website online where you can like create sigils that will do it for you. Have either of you messed around with it? I did like mess around with it a little bit. I didn't personally like it because I think that it detaches you from the process of the sigil making. And I think that's like a lot of where the sigil kind of gets power from is the actual process of its design. Something I didn't like about the sigil engine specifically was that I just felt like I was putting in my intention, like it magically appeared. I was like, that's great, super convenient, but I feel like it kind of like lost its touch a little bit.
2: Yeah, that's fair. I also did not like it because I don't like being able to control it.
1: No, no, I was just going to say like a lot of the, going back to what you were saying about where does the power come from, like I think a lot of the argument with people who work with crystals is that it's from vibrations. And so, yeah, you can argue that that the crystals and computers in some cases are literally performing vibrations because that's their function in an electric circuit. But whether or not that's functional and useful is is quite difficult to, to define. And, and, and then you have to go into this kind of weird like woo field of people believing that like electromagnetic radiation can cause issues. And right. I just want to like dispel that because the WHO has investigated that really, really thoroughly and has found no issues with electromagnetic radiation. But yeah, it, it kind of goes into people believing that vibrations can like alter their health which isn't very well defined, and I just think it kind of goes down like a weird route. We
0: have have an episode coming up on on vibrations and frequencies um, and the legitimacy of some of those claims, but from the little research that I've done so far, it's not very substantiated. (laughs) But we'll go into detail with that later. I
2: feel like we could honestly do a whole episode on (laughs) tech magic and computers and You know, that idea. Because I was just thinking about how some people I've seen have created, like, Minecraft altars. Which, like, you know, you're, like, literally building something. We often think of the internet as being kind of, like, out here in this amorphous cloud. But the internet is a very literal, tangible thing. If you Google internet underwater wires, and you can see where the internet is. Like, the internet is not just air like i think a lot of people see it as very intangible but the internet is very physical it's something a lot of people discount but i think it's worth examining
0: what do you think of the idea that like the internet is in and of itself its own egregore
2: i've heard that before i honestly don't know that much about thought forms or egregores but i certainly see or like i've seen people talk about like algorithms as egregores Mm -hmm. which i honestly think makes a lot of sense because algorithms are like they're they scare me like i i I'm not technophobic. I love technology. Everyone in my family is a computer person, but algorithms genuinely worry me because they're so they can predict what you're going to want and what you're going to buy. And it doesn't scare me like oh the computers are taking over. It more scares me from a capitalism singularity standpoint.
0: Yeah, I think I think the idea of of aggregors being a key kind of component of the internet, even like even just the idea that like the internet is so negative right and like we we constantly see that there's like all these ideas like canceling people and ruining careers and all these really terrible things in a way I because I think I kind of think it's because the internet is like its own egregore and uh, people feed into it a lot of hatred and that's why kind of we, we get that back from it it's very it's a, it would be a very interesting topic to I think explore if we did do a tech episode somebody add that to the outline we, we do need to do this yeah maybe look further into that Algorithms are also really interesting and I think kind of the scary thing for me about algorithms, this is getting off topic a little bit but that's fine, is that like it's so easy to discriminate with them and I have noticed specifically recently like on a lot of major platforms there's been quite a bit of like shadow banning of a cold content. Which has been really unfortunate, and 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 it is discriminatory, and it happens with POC people as well. Like it's a huge issue, the whole idea of algorithms. So I've also heard of people like I don't know if any of you have seen this, but like sometimes you'll see posts on Twitter where it's the algorithm in the middle, like surrounded by a bunch of candle emojis, to try and like promote yourself within the algorithm. I think that's a really kind of funny thing to do. I'd be really curious to see if it if it actually worked for those practitioners if they did it seriously.
2: I mean, yeah, because mach- the point of machine learning, just from like a, a programming perspective, so I do a lot of Programming took a course on machine learning, but a lot of it is like you teach the machine to learn for itself essentially, which is where things can get kind of (laughs) scary because computers are perfect. That's the thing, and like I know that sounds weird to say. It's like whenever I was in coding classes, if like something wasn't working, everyone would blame the computer, and the professor's like, No, the computer's doing its job perfectly. It's just (laughs) if you do one mistake, like it does it perfectly to the T, if you put in one mistake it's not gonna work because a computer follows everything to a T, it's never wrong. So I think that's where things could get really scary. And I have, I could talk endlessly about how much I hate the algorithms and how I think they, you know, promote people. They, they promote people tearing each other apart and their tools of the state to, you know, prevent the unification of the people. But that's all I <laughs> that's, uh. that's just where I stand. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, we we will dive into actually all of this, I think, a little bit more in that tech episode that we mentioned, because now that we've talked about it, I think we could definitely like make a full episode out of it for sure. All right. What's next on our list?
1: This one's for you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what happens to planetary magic after the heat death of the universe? All right. I mean, to be totally honest, after the heat death of the universe, like we probably won't be alive. So do with that what you will. It's interesting, though, because I think if we go by the idea, the first law of thermodynamics, right, that energy is neither created or destroyed, it's simply transformed, then one could argue that the planetary energies are still there, they just aren't condensed into particular planets. And so this idea of as above, so below just might look a little bit differently. It's not to say that you can't still utilize planetary magic, you just might use different terminology for it, um, because that energy is still there, it just will be, will be different. It's interesting. What do you think?
1: I guess it, to me, it's, it kind of relates to this idea of like astrology and, and geocentrism. And because obviously like astrology is kind of geocentric, is it kind of about the inherent nature of those? Or is it about the kind of relational positioning of them? Does does that make sense? Like, is it is it more about where they are and how they interact with one another? In which case, the geocentrism matters a lot? Or is it like inherent to that sphere, no matter what? So if you, you know, you're swapped around Mars and Jupiter, ignore the devastating effects on gravity. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what, Would would they still have the same effect? Or is that a completely different system now because they're moving in different spheres?
0: That's interesting. I don't really base my, like the planetary magic that I practice is definitely not really based upon like the astrological or um, yeah, like the astrological kind of verification, I guess, of their, of their particular characteristics. Like it's much more on a spiritual level. And in that case, it would matter less. It'd be, I'd be curious to hear maybe an astrologer's perspective and see if, if that does make a change specifically. Kind of because, um, like, Pluto, for instance, is, even though it's no longer considered a planet by NASA, like, within the realm of astrology, Pluto is, like, the generational planet. So it it kind of describes what would happen within a generation at, at a given period. And so if that was maybe moved closer to the sun or maybe to another planet it would beg the question like would that maybe change its importance because we have like our our individual planets right and then we also have like the generational ones like i think uranus and neptune also follow that same um, path it would be interesting maybe if things changed if that would also affect like the astrology of people in like future generations i don't know that's a very interesting question i kind of wish nike or was here so we could could ask
2: them i have a a follow-up question that i was just thinking about so let's say you're on the International Space Station. For some reason, people are living there and or Mars or whatever. It just doesn't matter what planet it is And you have a child. What does that mean for the, mm. you know, or like how, how, how would planetary magic look on the moon? Like if you're OK, this could be very real thing. Like if a witchy astronaut goes to the moon or the International Space Station, what does planetary magic look like for them? I don't know. I think that's very interesting. It's weird to think about, but that very well could, like, a a witch could go to the moon (laughs) and do magic on it. That's true. That is really interesting, actually, because
0: I wonder if it would, because we, like, if we use the moon, the moon is as an example, right? Like, we see the moon, it rises, and then it, it, it also sets just like the sun does, and it also goes through these cycles. Well, what happens if you, like, you're actually on the moon and you don't see this, like, cycle of, of rising and setting, and you don't see the different phases, does that, like, I don't know if you would still be able to experience those those phases actually on the physical planet. You would think that it would actually probably maybe feel more intense since you're, like, on the planet. But at the same time, I imagine it would feel much like you are just here on Earth, of course, in different settings, because, like, you're in space and the moon is not Earth. But yeah, I wonder if you would feel the effect of those phases more strongly than you do here on Earth, or not. I don't... I don't know. That's
2: a weird question. I'm gonna tweet at NASA. I don't even have a Twitter. I'm <laughs> gonna Twitter just for this. Actually, this would be really okay. So my aunt is actually she worked for NASA. Now she's kind of into like this kind of el- realm of spirituality. So I might actually <laughs> email her because she might have some really interesting thoughts as someone who specifically worked with like space and worked at yeah, NASA for a time it. Super yeah I'm gonna email my aunt I think she might have some really interesting things and I'll update everybody Kenny what do you think
1: I was just wondering like do you think because we are humans at least as far as I know <laughs> we are like spirits of earth so inherently we are like tied to that and so the, it's always going to be geocentric and so like even if you're on the moon it doesn't matter because we are like tied to earth spiritually and therefore it like it, we would just follow whatever the is happening on Earth? Or does the location matter? Do, 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 I mean, do you see didn't, what I
2: mean? Didn't, was it Carl Sagan who said that we're all made of star, stardust? Was that him who said that? I think so. So I mean, in that case, I mean, we are kind of made out of the universe is all ultimately made out of materials that were once together and all in the same place. I think we're only tied to the earth because we have literally been tied to the earth for since the dawn of humanity so I don't know if that means that we're inherently have to work with the earth does magic work on the moon in that case
0: well see Hany that what you're saying there also then begs the question of like if alternative life forms exist so aliens then man I never thought I was talking about aliens on this podcast (laughs) would their spirituality be super different from like ours because they wouldn't be tied necessarily to earth they'd be tied to whatever planet like they're from yeah that's 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 a weird thought <laughs> well
1: their the cultural norms presumably be very different as well so like well, of course yeah so yeah but they I, I probably would do but i don't know if you could necessarily say if what it was down to I think it would be really interesting to see what the cultural norms of another population were and whether they did have any spirituality. That would kind of show whether it's an inherent thing or if it's just a human thing or something kind of in between.
0: Mm -hmm. Weird. That's making my mind go all kinds of places. Nobody has any more thoughts on that. We can move on to our next one, which is... Let's talk about whether or not you can do plant necromancy on your furniture. And I actually want to add to this and say, because like our furniture is made out of like plant material, can you utilize that in spell work for whatever whatever you decide to do? Very, very curious to hear opinions on this.
2: (laughs) I think I don't even, it's interesting. It's interesting. So like right here, I have a recorder and I play renaissance recorder they're usually made out of wood this one I'm holding is actually baroque but whatever that doesn't matter it's a recorder and it's made out of wood then I have another recorder here that is made out of plastic and it's interesting because when people are building recorders the plastic recorder will never ever 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 sound as good as the wooden one and just that's just the nature of like frequencies and humidity like this plastic one gets real yucky after like a few minutes just because there's no place for water to get absorbed and I think there's something too where people just seem and this is anecdotal evidence so take that as what you will but I have noticed that people seem to be more comfortable they're like oh I, I like this because it's natural like I was just thinking like I have a hairbrush that's plastic and I was thinking oh I might want a wooden one because it's I don't know. Sometimes I brush my hair as a form of cleansing and I'm like, oh, then it's more natural. So I feel like there's an inclination to use this, like use the wooden thing, even though it's, you know, this plant is not alive. This tree is not literally living. But so I think there's something to that, that even once a plant has died and been transformed into something else that we still feel some sort of connection to it. Now, if I can actually, I don't know, <laughs> to <laughs> necromancy with this dead hunk of tree here. I'm not sure. I don't know about that. But if one can do necromancy and one can work with plants, does it follow that one can do necromancy on plants?
1: I'm going to counterpoint this. So you've, okay. you've got your plastic recorder, right? And yeah. we, we kind of refer to the plastic as non-natural because it's a synthetic material. However, Plastic is made of, you know, it's made from oil and oil is made from kind of decaying dinosaurs and plant carcasses and things like that, which have been transformed over millions of years by pressure and bacteria. So, yeah, we're further removed from it, but it's it's still natural just in a different way, like. Are we are we able to work with the um the, the the dead dinosaurs in
2: your recorder? So so if I use my wooden recorder, I could connect it to the spirit of the tree. But if I use my plastic recorder, I could connect to the spirit of the dinosaurs.
1: In 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 summary, use the plastic one. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I do to, to Fel's point, I do think that we have kind of innate connection to anything that is that is natural because I know like when I go looking um, for apartments or places to live, I'm always drawn toward the old, old buildings that have like the original woodwork. Um, and I really don't like like super modern apartments or houses because I just I feel detached from them. But like for some reason, wood makes me feel much more at home. Whether that's because it's natural or not, I have no idea. But I think that that there there is something to that. What's interesting though, and this is what I was thinking about the other day, I I was listening to an episode on a different podcast. I don't remember what it was called, but they mentioned that because our furniture is made out of plant material, even though, well, first of all, just because it's been transformed to something else, does that make it dead? That's one question. And then second of all, can you use that to kind of work with the spirit of your home? Like collectively, everything in your home allegedly like works together to kind of become like a, a a house spirit of sorts and then can you work with that specifically to do things like protection or just making people feel more at home and so on and so forth so do all of the woods or natural products that your furniture is made out of contribute to kind of this like house spirit idea what do you think of that
1: i love the idea actually And I think maybe instruments, like Phil mentioned, are a good example because different woods can add different timbre, a different um, kind of quality to music. So that's kind of one example. And obviously we have woods with different correspondences. So, yeah, you could argue that that's the spirit of the plant still permeating through the wood. I quite like the idea of maybe the person who has made the furniture has maybe done that and worked with the spirit in kind of a devotional way I think that would be the most authentic way so maybe somebody like whittling a spoon out of walnut and like really spending time with the plant spending time with the um with the tree itself to kind of understand what shape that spoon wants to be I don't know if with furniture if you just put it together you might kind of get like a mishmash of things so I don't I don't I don't know how you would kind of calibrate that unless you're really experienced with working with plant spirits I don't know. It's an interesting idea. I, I think my my, my thoughts are decided to be half baked on it.
0: <laughs> it's one of those things where like homemade is is seems to almost always be better because you in this case you could really work with whatever you're you're building and you could make that connection and then it would it would be stronger and more authentic. But even then, like I have no carving or building skills whatsoever. I'm totally worthless in that area. So everything I buy would be like something from kid that I can put together quickly and easily. So then the question is like, does that make it make it less? Or could you could you still work with it? I think you can. Um, I think the idea of kind of having everything correspond to a house spirit is really interesting. And given that people have furniture that stays with them for such a long period of time, I also think it's interesting, like, you know, people say that when it's like a family member dies, right? And you have all the furniture and people talk about like, this like sentimental connection to, to said furniture. I mean, if it's with a person for such a long period of time, then in a way it does form a kind of bond with them. And so if you were to go through like a loved one's furniture after they passed and like, I don't know, it, um, it's very interesting because like, people keep things because they're sentimental and they they feel like they still have a part of that person. And so it's like over time, I think you do in a way build a connection with that material. Now, whether it's with a plant or the piece of furniture, that's that's maybe different. Yeah. Any other
2: thoughts on that?: Yeah, that's interesting because there, there again, it comes back to the debate of, do, do you put the spirit of the plant or into the item, or is it inherent? And I think that's interesting what you said about furniture, or just like like I love antique stores or thrift stores because I, I personally feel like there is some sort of, I don't know, residual energy, some sort of something that is left behind from whoever had it. And like this experience that that item had, I guess. So I don't know. I think there's something to that. And then it's like, well, you're working with the furniture, you're working with the person who had the furniture, or some sort of like weird combination of both. I think there's something to that. It's like buildings can be haunted. I don't personally really believe in like physical like actual visual manifestations of most spirits I think a lot of it is more energetic but there's definitely presences that can be felt like I love going to old place I mean I work in in the historical interpretation field like I love (laughs) there's something to or like yesterday I discovered that there's just like an 18th like a revolutionary war grave just a mile from my house and I went and there was just like you could there's something there yeah definitely okay so the
0: next one this is from a friend um and one of the servers that we're all a part of there is theoretically no reason why we can't connect to our evolutionary ancestors through ancestor work what do you think about that
1: i don't know because i kind of laughed at this idea it's like oh kind of going back to bacteria type thing which i I do actually kind of think it's a fun a fun idea but and then people were talking about it and talking about like early man and prehistoric societies and communities and how they related to one another. And actually I thought maybe it had some legs, like I thought maybe, yeah, it would be very difficult to understand them on more than a very base level, but it's kind of an interesting idea. And I don't really see a basis for why you couldn't, but I'll preface that with the or suffix that with the idea that I don't necessarily work with ancestors. So maybe I'm just completely misunderstanding the concept.
2: Um, I think it's true. I mean, I added
1: here, I said, does this mean
2: I could work with cavemen and Neanderthals? <laughs> I mean, and like, it sounds silly. Again, it goes back to like a lot of these things. It's like, well, you could make an argument for, yes, you could, especially if you're looking at a lot of this under like a more chaos magic paradigm. A lot of that could make sense. Some of it though gets into why, <laughs> like, why would you do this? I don't know. I, th- I mean, I think if you are making an argument for, you know, if you do ancestor work or ancestor veneration, Ancestors can be, you know, your own ancestors is also an argument to be made for ancestors of profession, et cetera, Um, ancestors of place, ancestors of religion, culture, et cetera. So I don't see why you couldn't work with like Neanderthals or cavemen or even going going back and like work with the like i early i was watching um what was i watching i watched too many things today oh it was a creature from the black lagoon and it opens with them talking about the beginning of the earth and they like show fish essentially and i just went oh ancestor (laughs) i don't know like i guess you could again though i don't know why you would but i i think you could theoretically
0: it's interesting actually i can think of a reason why you might do it and that is to maybe rid yourself of some of the the biases that we have from cultural and societal like influence right so maybe if you were to work with your ancestors to bring yourself back to maybe the the true kind of focus of humanity like what what it, what it was untainted I think that could be interesting and just like a very interesting way to think about it but that's also assuming that it was ever untainted which I don't necessarily know is true um and like how far back does that go I mean when I don't I don't know I don't know I don't necessarily know how you would go about doing that. But that is a thought that I had. I do think it's possible. I don't see why not. It's kind of also like, like determining ancestors, like how far back are we going? You know what I mean? Like, is it just a couple of generations? Are we looking at ancestors, you know, from decades, if not centuries ago? Yeah, I think that's a very interesting, interesting question. The other one is, though, is if we actually look at this in terms of like scientific evolution, if you're if you're talking about like macroevolution, right, there is a common ancestor. Humans, are a part of a larger tree of life, and we are connected to like other animals. And so then it's like, could you even go go to that extreme and say you're working with like, maybe our like ancestors evolutionarily, even as far back as the common ancestor, like, what would that even look like? I have no idea. Don't ask me. Um, I don't do ancestor work. But that is certainly another thought. Um, another way you could take it, I suppose.
1: Um. Just practically speaking, and I don't know if any of us actually do ancestor work necessarily, but practically speaking, do you need like a connection to an ancestor to like work with them? Like, for example, would you need like a photograph or a name or just an idea of like what they would look like or sound like? Or could you just kind of imagine like early man in general and then have a connection? Because I think that's the missing link for me. Like, how would you connect to them? Exactly. Like, would you how would you build that connection?
2: Right. So for me, like, I do a little bit of like ancestor work. So I work with like two main things. I work with my very literal, defined ancestors because I have stories of them. So some of them I actually have pictures of, but my grandfather and his. his father and my father were all like the family genealogists so like I'm very lucky in which I have names and I have stories so to me that is the connection to them and also for me a lot of it is place as well another thing I've started working with since I started a new job is like trying to connect to the seamstresses of my area of New England because there is actually a fairly deep history of (laughs) disasters and also survival of seamstresses here or people who work in the textile industry so in that way it's like the the physical land is what is connecting me to those people so I honestly don't know what the connection would be maybe museums (laughs) just go to museums and sit with a cave painting or something yeah I guess that's that's a good point is what is that connection is merely knowledge of their existence enough I for things that far back I don't Think knowledge of their existence is is necessarily enough,
0: but I mean they they were human, right? So there is there is that connection, If, if nothing else, the same basic needs for survival. I mean all of that, like biologically, none of that would have changed, except for maybe some selective pressures over time, depending upon Mm -hmm. where you're living, of
2: course. But I'll go to the Harvard Natural History Museum and start communing with (laughs) some of the rocks and let you know (laughs) what comes up.
0: It actually makes me wonder, though, because Felicity mentioned, I've actually never, never thought about it like this, which is surprising, but whatever. The idea of like ancestor work within a particular discipline. So like as a scientist, it's possible to maybe do ancestor work, like? those brilliant minds like Albert Einstein and Robert Boer and Stephen Hawking and all of these incredible Pythagoras, like whoever, um, all these incredible scientists who made such revolutionary changes within our fields. Um, Working with them, could you maybe get some kind of insight that current society is lacking? In fact, I think like Albert Einstein was probably one of the last kind of great scientist because he was one of the last people who really combined spirituality along with science he did both unfortunately a lot of people like to disregard his interest in the occult but he certainly was and in a couple of his a couple of memoirs that have been written about him there is brief mention um, of the fact that he held to um hermetic ideals and he was he was an alchemist in in a very literal sense and so it would be interesting to maybe do some like ancestor work with these very established, you know, being um, people in our field who have not passed away, but could offer maybe some lost insight into into the world and how we see it.
2: Computer magic with Tesla.
1: Awesome. get that electricity.
0: That'd be, so cool. can <laughs> you imagine? That'd
2: be awesome. Oh my God, your computer would explode. <laughs> explode the there is
1: actually a website. Um, if you have a graduate degree and you have a supervisor, you can look yourself up on this website and it gives you a family tree of your supervisors. So who your supervisor supervisor was and who, who their supervisor was. And it kind of goes back as far as you can see. So you can kind of think of it as like an academic family and you're like your own lineage in that way but yeah it's there's also a lot kind of a dodgy stuff there because obviously you have to then think about there's also a lot of entrenched elitism there and a lot Mm -hmm. of probably sexism too so i would feel slightly strange about working with those lineages because i would feel like quite disconnected from them in some ways but it's definitely an interesting idea that's very cool
2: it's interesting so there's this author austin cleon he's not a cult at all but his books are very good Uh, so shout out to him but one of the things in his first book steal like an artist that he mentions that has like stuck with me ever since where I kind of came to my own conclusion about this idea of ancestors of profession. So he says, he basically talks about building your own um, artistic family tree or it could be any profession. So he says, write yourself and then three people who inspire you and then go to those people and do three people that inspired them and then sort of build this family tree of influence. And I think it's actually, like I did it when I read his book like years and years ago, and it was absolutely fascinating because it encourages you to not only just like look at these people and their lives, but to specifically look at who influenced them. And you make some like really surprising (laughs) connections. And some of the most funny, some of my influences that I had written actually all influenced each other in this really interesting way. So I actually encourage people to do that if you're like an artist, or even I could see that working in the occult, sphere as well or any other profession of writing who inspired you and then who inspired them and going back and back and back as far as you want to and I think that's a really interesting way to build this sort of family tree of influence
0: I really like that idea that's that's very interesting it's something I haven't thought about ever doing before
1: yeah I like that you have a bit more creative control over it as well like you you don't have to be kind of be at the behest of um, the people who history chose to honor, but you can have a little bit more control over, like, for example, we, in the beginning of the episode, we talked about um, Rosalind Franklin versus Watson and Crick, and we can kind of give people the respect they were due, which they might not have got at the time. So yeah, I think that's a really, really nice idea. Okay,
0: we will call that for our first episode of Witchy Shower Thoughts. But thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed kind of considering some of these things with us. If you have other spiritual shower thoughts that you've had that maybe you would like us to discuss, feel free to leave them on the Instagram post for this episode or feel free to message our um, Instagram account and we will include them in the next one. But I hope you enjoyed and have a good day, everybody.